0: Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 4 through 7 and 10 through 14. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, You have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, and for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The Lord bless the reading of his word. We've been focusing on the word sanctified. Sanctify them, Jesus prays in John chapter 17. So I just wanted to... uh, go back to that text and uh... if you have a bible with you i'd like to invite you to turn to john chapter seventeen and follow along you know i just wanna recommend to you that while i'm preaching it's a good idea for you to be looking at the text i'm preaching (laughs) it will help you i promise so if you have a bible you can look at this. I'm going to read from verse 17, 16 to verse 23. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in oneness, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me I would like to suggest to you this morning that in this prayer Jesus is operating exemplifying and proclaiming the very heart of the very nature of what it means to be a Christian. The very heart of what it means to be a Christian is in this text. Sanctify them that they may be one. And we're gonna explore around in various other parts of the Bible that elaborate on this very thing. And I'd like to suggest to you that the entire Bible is an elaboration of this very thing. I, will, I am sanctifying myself in order to sanctify them, that they may be one like I'm in you and you are in me. And then he basically repeats that. I don't think there's a more important thing for you to understand from the word of God than what Jesus elaborates in this prayer. This is the Great High Priestly Prayer of the Great High Priest. That makes it very important. The very Son of God is beseeching the Father for our sake. Now, we've already been talking about this whole idea of sanctify them for a couple of weeks already, and we're probably going to take another couple of weeks. We're going to be sort of moving into what is is this oneness today. We're going to start on that. So I wanted to make a summary statement of what we've seen so far In answer to this question, how are we sanctified? What does sanctified mean here in John chapter 17? So here's my summary. We are set apart by God, and now I want to add to God, by God to God, to be sent into the world with the word of God, And when I say the Word of God, I don't mean our Bibles. Though our Bibles certainly are the Word of God in a certain sense. But what we mean in the book of John when we say the Word of God is we mean Christ. So, set apart by God to God to be sent into the world with the Word of God which is the revelation of God and our reconciliation to God in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a very tightly crafted sentence. So I put it there in your bulletin so that you can have it just written out just like that. So in case you need to, you can see it again. We are set apart. That's the very meaning of the word sanctified. Set apart. By God. Who's doing the sanctifying? God is. To God. What are we set apart to? God himself. We belong to him. He has staked his claim on the believer. And if we've read the book of John up until now, we know that he staked his claim before he even started making the world. But now in Christ, the claim is set forth and activated in us. And so we have been taken out of the mass of humanity in general and set apart to God, for God, for a purpose, as we've noticed, to be holy or to be sanctified is to belong Solely to God, solely for God's designated purpose, which he says right here is to send us into the world with the Word, to be sent into the world with the Word of God. And the Word of God is the revelation of God in Christ and the announcement of our reconciliation to God in Christ. Reconciliation, that's kind of a big word. I think uh, if I'm going to say it, I need to tell you what it means. It means where two persons had been at odds or enemies or not on friendly terms. And of course, in the scripture, we read that we were God's enemies. And now in Christ we've been reconciled. So to be reconciled is to become friends again. To be restored to good relationship. You see the very nature of the gospel is the delivery of restored fellowship with God Almighty in Christ by the Spirit. That's how we're sanctified. (laughs) Now today I want to look at the next statement in our text. In verse 19 where Jesus says, For their sakes I sanctify myself. Now this is interesting. Jesus is setting himself apart for our sake. In order, he says that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. So he's asking the Father to sanctify us, and then he's telling us how that becomes possible. And it's in his own sanctification of himself, his own setting apart of himself. This is a curious expression. You know, in John chapter 10, we read that God had set Jesus this, I'm sorry, had set the Son apart to send him. And Jesus in his prayer here makes that a comparison to us. We're set apart to be sent. But here Jesus sanctifies himself. In chapter 10 it says God sanctified. In other words, it was something God did in the past and sent But here Jesus says, I sanctify in the present tense. He's saying something he is in the process of doing at the moment he says it. Oh, well, I don't know about you, but this reminds me of the book of Exodus. (laughs) In chapter 13, where God gives a curious commandment, Exodus chapter 13. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Sanctify me every firstborn, the first offspring of every womb among the sons of Israel, both man and beast, it belongs to me. And this was the reasonable service of worship following the Passover where God claimed the firstborn of every son of Egypt and spared the firstborn of those of the people of Israel who put the blood of the firstborn lamb on their Doorways, And he says, so, in commemoration of this great salvation, the firstborn, every firstborn is mine. Sanctify them to me, he says. Well, and then he goes on to make some rules. Because, you know, what that could mean is, Well, like God said to Abraham, you know, your firstborn son, your beloved, your one and only, I want you to make him a sacrifice to me. But God provided a substitute. And so in this passage right here in Exodus, he says, so you have to redeem your firstborn child with the sacrifice of a firstborn lamb. For him to keep, to stay with you, sacrifice is required to me because he belongs to me. This is the context in which Jesus says, I sanctify myself. I sanctify myself. In Hebrews chapter 2, by the way, if you really want to understand all this stuff, just go read the book of Hebrews about 20 times. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, we do not see him who was made a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus because of the suffering of death. I'm sorry. But we do not see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things, And through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are sanctified, that's us, are all from one Father. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Now, does that remind you of Jesus in John 17? The Father, those you've given me? Anyway. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death... He might render powerless him who had been, who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who, fear, who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation, satisfaction, atonement, reconciliation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he had suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. The sanctifying work of Jesus is the work of the high priest and the offering of and the sacrifice offered. So when Jesus sets himself apart, consecrates himself, the firstborn of his people, his intention is to give himself the sacrifice that cleanses us. And as we come to find out in the book of Hebrews, like we read in chapter 10, just a few minutes ago, It's the, the sacrifice. The once and for all sacrifice that actually solves, cleanses us from sin. This makes us acceptable before the throne of a righteous and holy God. This reconciles us to God the Father, this puts us back in correct relation in healthy, good fellowship with the living God in Christ. This is why we call John chapter 17 the great high priestly prayer. I sanctify myself in order to sanctify them. Jesus is the sacrifice that redeems those who who by rights belong to God. He is the one who dies so that they can go on living. They is us. Jesus is the high priest that offers that sacrifice. This is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The atoning sacrifice of Christ presented before God the Father by our great, holy, high priest that reconciles us to him, that restores our fellowship with him. Now, it's curious to me that there's another that after that. In other words, Jesus is going to give a purpose, a goal. So I want to ask this question What's the Lord's goal in sanctifying himself in order to sanctify us? Did you read, did you hear what he said? for their sakes i sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth i don't ask on just for these guys sitting here but for everyone who comes to faith through their word that they may all be one that they may all be one There is one thing that is made by the sacrifice of Christ. In, a, in the modern world, we very much individualize our Christian faith. It's about whether I am saved or not, it's about whether I grow. In my Christ likeness, whether I experience the benefits of my salvation. But I want you to know, in the mind of Christ, in this prayer, you're saved to be one with every other saved person and with God. Now, this reminds me of Ephesians chapter 2. I'd really like to just read you the whole thing, Ephesians chapter 2. But I have some summary statements, so I'm going to read you those. Now, if you have a Bible, you should look at chapter 2 of Ephesians You can get more details. You can see whether my summary statements are any good. They're good. The first thing Ephesians 2 says is you were dead, you Christian. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, just like everyone else. God, in his great mercy, because he loved you, made you alive together with and in Christ. He made you alive in Christ. This is your union with Christ. When Christ was raised, even though you weren't even born yet, you also were raised in Christ. Romans 6 says in in his death, you participated in his death, in your union with Christ. Union with Christ is a very important thing. Anyway, you were dead, he made you alive. He says, By grace you've been saved, by grace you've been saved. That's the important part. By grace you've been saved through faith, not of works, by grace. So that's the first couple of things. He says, you were dead. He made you alive. By grace, you've been saved. You didn't raise yourself from the dead. God did it. It's his merciful act. Because he loved you, because of his great mercy, that's what he did. He didn't even ask you if you wanted it done. He just did it. By grace, you're saved. And then he says... After he says, by grace you've been saved about a hundred times, he says, okay, it's only like three or four times. Not as a result of work, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Now, there's something you might not hear, but it's there. If you just read this too fast, we is a plural word so we those of us who have been saved by his grace who have been made alive together with Christ and seated at the right hand anyway we are his workmanship singular this is very important and it's so easy to miss It doesn't say each one of us is a workmanship of God. It says all of us together, we are one workmanship, one project. And by the way, the proof of this is in the rest of chapter 2, where he says we used to be two groups of people the Israelites and the Gentiles and the Gentiles, you were like alienated from God. You had no place in the plan of God whatsoever. But now, we who were far off were brought near by the blood of Christ. So the many are one. We are his workmanship. We were far off, us Gentiles, now we've been brought near. In fact, he says, right here, I'm going to read it from the text because this is so critical. He, this is verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 2, he himself is our peace, our reconciliation. And who, what's the reconciliation going on here? It's a reconciliation between the Jewish world and the Gentile world. It's the reconciliation between human beings. <laughs> he is our peace who made both one. There were two, now there's one. How did he do that? He himself is our peace who made both one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his, feth, in his flesh The enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinance, so that he himself might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. Oh my goodness, there was a lot happening when Jesus died on the cross. He was not just saving me and saving you and saving each saved person. No, he was making us one new man and saving that man. That's what this says. He was putting us all into one new man, the body of Christ, and reconciling us together, not reconciling me and then someday reconciling you and then someday reconciling somebody else. No, all together, all at once. The work of the cross is putting the body of Christ into the body of Christ and reconciling us all together to God. The oneness of the body of Christ is a much bigger deal than you think it is. So, you were dead. He made you alive. By grace you're saved. We, together, are his workmanship, a single thing. The many are one. You who are far off were brought near. And then he himself is our peace who makes us one, reconciling us both and all to God in one body through the work of the cross. One new man, the body of Christ, the union of the church in Christ. The scripture right here in Ephesians chapter 1, at the end of chapter 1, do you know what it calls the church? He put all things in subjection under, under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Which is his body, the fullness of him. <laughs> the church is the fullness of Christ, the church is the exhibition of Christ, the church is the image bearer of the living God in the world in Christ. You can't get your brain around most of this, I know. Me either. The Lord's sanctifying work is a work of union. Now, I'm using that word on purpose, union. And I want to just close by talking about some practical implications, I guess, Here's what I think, union is much greater than unity. And if that doesn't help you any, uh, that's fine. Don't worry, because it's kind of a word game. And I'm thinking of unity as, well, the ways we try to make it ourselves when what the scripture says is it's something God has already made. Our union with one another and with God by the Spirit in Christ that's something God has done. All of chapter 2 of Ephesians is in the in Greek, we call the aorist tense. It's something that has already happened. Something God has done, not something we must do. That's very interesting. Chapter four has a in Ephesians has an interesting name for this union. He says, "Therefore." I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, most of us, when we read that text, we read it something like this. Okay, now that you're saved, try to deserve it. Paul would be mad if he caught you thinking that way. But that's how we tend to read this. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. That's not what he means. He means to walk in a clear understanding of the weight of your calling. Then he goes on. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love being diligent to preserve the oneness of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So here's a thing that exists that you are called to preserve. It has been given. It is reality. But it's called the bond, the unity of the Spirit. So this is where the third person of the Trinity comes into this sanctifying body creating work is the spirit comes to dwell in each of us and as we read in Corinthians baptized each one of us into the body of Christ and so we all become one in the fellowship of the spirit the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace and if you read peace any other way than Jesus by the work of his cross making the two into one new man you've missed it. That's what peace, the bond of peace here is the cross of Christ that has created one new man from many. Union. Our union is something that is given, it is, it is God has done it and calls us To live in it. That's what Ephesians 4 is about. Preserve the unity in the bond of peace. Our union union is something we want to display in practical ways. And he gives us the practical ways. You might not like this. The practical ways of union in the life of the church. The rest of the book of Ephesians, by the way, is about that. So if you wanted to really learn the details of living out the union of the body of Christ in real life in the church, read Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, because... It's entirely about that. This is the title sentence for the rest of Ephesians Humility. Humility. <laughs> uh. Okay. Here's me. Here's you. This is me doing humility. It literally means put yourself below the others. And, of course, you have that great passage in Philippians 2 that says, okay, well, if you really want to see humility, just look at Christ, who was the Son of God, the Eternal One. He humbled himself. He became a man. He became a humble man. He humbled himself as a man to the point of death. Literally put himself beneath every last human being. That's humility. In other words, I think of you as more important than me. <laughs> I I don't even know how to think of that. I, I just confess to you, it is really, like, nearly impossible for me to th- think of you as more important than me. That's the practical implication of the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Then he says, Sorry, it doesn't get any better. Well, gentleness, that's nice. That just means be kind. Be kind. Don't live with your elbows out. Patient. You know the word for patience here macrothumia long-suffering. And if that weren't enough, he says, putting up with each other. What is going on here in the life of our church is all of us putting up with each other. And so demonstrating our commitment, our desire to love our union with Christ. Now, if I'm putting up with you, I think, "Ah, you know, I really want to be easy for you to put up with. This is very practical. This is very down to earth. It's all in this sort of humility contest of the church. But why would we do that? Why why would I put myself below someone? That doesn't, in the world, that's like complete, total nonsense. I look out for number one. And I don't mean Jesus. Why would we do that? Oh, because we know union with God in Christ and by the Spirit. (laughs) That's why. That is why our union is something we want to experience in relation to each other it's not a demand imposed on you when the when the word says humble yourself god is not saying i want to put you down he's saying look the way up is down when we experience the love of christ in relation to each other we're seeing the love of christ the most beautiful of all things and so if I can humble myself and put the love of Christ on display, why would I do anything else? Our union is something like the essence of the Christian life. It is the reason Jesus was here at all, to sanctify himself, to set himself apart as our sacrifice, to bring us back to living, loving fellowship with God, almighty God and with each other to be the living demonstration of his goodness and grace in our fellowship with each other. This is why in earlier in the book of John in chapter eight, he says, this is how everyone will know you're my disciples. If you love one another. You see, the important thing about the body of Christ, the church here, is not are we out there getting things done for Jesus? That is not the point. The point is, are we the living family of God where his devotion and fellowship and his great merciful love is displayed in our fellowship with each other? That's the thing itself. Sanctify them that they may be one. Let us join. Let us join with Jesus and pray our little heads off that this will be real in the fellowship of our church, that they may be one that we might be displays of union with Christ, with God in Christ by the Spirit. Father, we do pray with Christ. Lord, we understand that there are, there's suffering in this oneness for us. But Lord, there's also the great, deep, abiding joy of knowing your love, participating in your love, showing it in the way that we live. We have such a long ways to go, Father. Help us, help us to know this union that we have in Christ. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.